This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for Thursday, October 5th. On the pod today, expect to see some changes to your grocery bill, or at least that's the message today from the federal government after meeting with the CEOs of major grocery chains. How soon will this affect food prices, and what if it's not enough? Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne is just ahead. And another city gets federal cash to build more homes, but Canadians will have to wait years for the impact. The Power Panel debates what the federal government could do right now to help with affordability. Plus, a Liberal MP breaks ranks, voting with the Conservatives against the carbon tax. Ken McDonald will tell us why and what his constituents are saying about the Liberal government. We begin in Ottawa, where the Liberal government updated Canadians today on its efforts to stabilize the high cost of groceries. Canada's industry minister is spearheading talks with Canada's five major grocers, and today he said they've changed their tone, now promising to roll out discounts, price freezes, and price matching. But in terms of when Canadians will start to see relief at the cash register, well, those timelines remain a little murky, and opposition parties are unimpressed. And all they offered, since they promised to bring prices down by Thanksgiving, is a code of conduct an office, and a photo op. You can't eat any of those three things. They won't be on the Thanksgiving dinner table. The Prime Minister wasn't willing to do anything until he started falling behind in the polls. That's two years that Canadians have been struggling because this government's unwilling to take on the real problem, which is corporate greed. Industry Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne joins me now. Minister, welcome back to the show. It's nice. You, you gave me a remake of Question Period, you know? <laughs> yes. That's okay. You should put my answers. I mean, he was not smiling as much when I answered the leader of the opposition. Well, well, let's get your answers now, Minister, because you say you've secured these commitments from the five major grocers and people will see a, a decrease in prices when they go to the grocery store. So when I go out this weekend to get what I need for Thanksgiving dinner for my family, what kind of a, a price savings am I going to be looking at? Well, what we've presented today is a five points plan. And you're right, what we have secured from the, uh, the major grocers in the country is a number of things. And then I gave example in a press conference and you related to them. But I, I saw some of the flyers today. I think we, we've seen already a rollout today and in, in the coming weeks. What we need to do is to create a more competitive environment in this country in order to stabilize prices for the short, long and medium term. And, and, and that's what we need really because, you know, what, what we have done basically is to kind of shake the, the tree uh, because I think it's been a bit cozy in Canada when it comes to grocery. And now what we've said is that enough is enough. Uh, we asked them for plans. They came back. But there's also a whole set of measures. You know, the office, for example, right. that we've created is going to monitor these plans. We're also going to go against, um, you know, to, to highlight shrinkflation to help consumers. Uh, we said we're going to collect more data to help the independent grocers to better negotiate. We have the code of conduct. Uh, competition reform is key because... Ultimately, what you need is more competition in order to stabilize prices. But honestly, if you start looking uh, at some of the grocers, and I know their plan, uh, they're going to try to outcompete each other. And the real power, David, is the 40 million Canadians, because we can change their spending pattern. We can decide to go one way or the other. So it's for them now to answer to consumers across the nation and say, we heard you. And here's what we can do for you. Okay, I, I want to talk about competition in a second. But, but right now, I want to stick with prices of individual staples that Canadians need uh, each and every week in their kitchen. You mm-hmm. say you looked at the flyers? What yes, price, I did. What, what, what price drops did you see on core things? And, and how are any of those related to the federal government's efforts on this? Well, I mean, we pushed them. 
And, and I think we ask them to be more ambitious and long-lasting when looking at price freezes. Uh, you, you, I don't want to mention any brand because obviously it's for them to compete. But what is interesting is what we saw this morning. They're going to try to outcompete each other. And that's the good thing because you've seen uh, people were focusing on Thanksgiving, offering a number of discounts. And, and what we see is these kind of discounts uh, that, that are being offered are going to be matched by others. And then beyond Thanksgiving, we need to make sure that, that they take measure around price freeze. We talk about basket of discounted goods. We talk about price matching. Uh, what's, in that, what's in that basket, Minister? Like, well, I, mean, I, I guess you, I'm hoping for some specifics. Like, is milk going to be cheaper? Bread? Are we talking well, I mean, about that's, chicken? That's what are we looking at? That's for grocers to say because they're competing with each other. Uh, different, different grocers will do different things because now they're all watching each other. Trust me. They're all watching. If one does that, the other is going to respond to that because they want your dollar. Um, and, and what we did as government, we shook the tree. Now they said, okay, this is real. There's going to be more competition. So this is what we need to do. And I saw some movement this morning. We're going to be monitoring. And if it's not enough, David, we'll do more. Canadians understand we cannot do miracles. But one thing they expect from us is to fight for them. And that's the good fight we're bringing. And if we need to take more actions, we'll take them. But now it's going in a direction that is, that is positive. That when you look at the different um, different initiatives that they're taking, it's going in the right direction. Okay, you say you shook the tree. Uh, part of the problem is that the tree only has five branches, right? There's five big companies that own all of the grocery brands for the most part. And in, in my neighborhood here in Ottawa, there's a grocery store almost across the road from the other. They're owned by the same company. I mean, it's kind of not real competition. So, so how can such a highly concentrated industry actually get the sort of price relief you're talking about when the, con- when, when, when the competition is so limited? Well, that's why we need more. That's why in, in, in the five points plan. One of them is, is a landmark reform of competition because, for example, as you said, now you have, for example, in, in, in some commercial center, uh, uh, the owner of that, that facility, for example, would restrict if you have one of the big brands who can come at a number of kilometers around. Those type of things need to stop. And, and certainly that's why the, the reform on competition is probably of everything, David, the one which will have the, the, the biggest impact because it's going to, you know, competition creates a downward pressure on prices. Right. That, that's, that's always the case. So that's why we say it's not only what they're going to do, the grocers, it's the, five, the four other things that we've proposed together uh, that are bringing us in the right direction. But you're right. Uh, what you see in, in the grocery sector is not unique in that sector. We've seen it in other sectors, but I think they understand now that we're getting real on competition. And by the way, um, if, if the ones that you showed before, the opposition, they want to do something, let's vote for C-56 uh, because that bill is going to reform competition. So if they want to do a gift for people at Thanksgiving, something apart from asking questions but doing something, uh, that would be uh, one thing they could do that would have an impact for Canadians. I haven't looked at the grocery flyers today. I will confess that. But I have been looking at consumer price index data, Bank of Canada forecasts over the last couple of months, and they have all shown that food inflation has been slowing down on its own due to factors in supply chains being resolved and and other factors going away, not because of any government initiative or goodwill from the big grocers. I I mean... But that's good news. I mean, we're not going to complain if it's going down. Well, but but, but are you, are you, is the government and the grocers trying to take credit for something that would have been happening no, naturally because of the change of factors? We want to accelerate and expand, and, and we want to do more. Uh, you know, if it's if it's good thing, if it's going down, but we want more, and we want it faster. That That's clearly the message, and we want them to be creative. And actually, David, if you look at what's been done in France, and if you look at what's been done in the U.K., 
I think the plans that we have put together compares very well to what you've seen. Those are the two jurisdictions that we've been looking at, what governments have been doing there. And I think if you look at the Canadian plan and you ask international experts, they'd say, you know what? The package that you present is as solid as you would see in in these jurisdictions in order to stabilize price. And that's why uh, I'm saying this is day one. Uh, We're we're not saying we're we're mission accomplished or we're done. Uh, We're going to be on their back. But today, I think it's going in the right direction. But what are the metrics, Minister? I wonder here. I remember when Galen Weston and the other grocery CEOs testified at committee, they had very precise data on how much money they made on a basket of groceries. You're talking about a basket of groceries getting a discount. What's the precise data on what the savings are expected well, to be it's Canadians. for them to uh, to get back to you on that in a sense because David, once I have the plan, I need competition to do what competition is supposed to do uh, because they're going to outcompete each other. So what we did for us, we gave them an objective, but the how we said that's for you. You have to compete for my dollar, and the biggest power we have is the 40 million people watching uh, tonight because if we change our spending patterns. You bet that we're going to see uh, benefits for Canadians. That's, that's the power we have, you and I, together and everyone else watching. Right. Because, because that's, that's really what they're going to respond to. Obviously, I'm going to be there watching like a hawk. We can put measures in place. We're going to push the international manufacturers. But ultimately, we as consumers have the power to say that brand has responded better to the call of action by the government. And we're going to support that. We're going to buy there. And, right. and I bet that the others will follow. Well, Canadians, you know, they, they don't have a lot of discretion in, in buying food, right? So if the core staples don't actually change, that people may not actually feel the relief. So if this competition you're counting on doesn't have the desired effect uh, of driving down prices, when do you make good on the prime minister's threat of punishing them with tax measures? Listen, we're, everything is on the table. Uh, I have been clear. The deputy prime minister has been clear. Uh, everything is on the table. But for now, we're almost like what they want. And from what I've seen and what I've heard from them, and by the way, it was the first time I'm told in Canadian history that, that a government would have called uh, the five grocers to come explain themselves, and it allows me to express the frustration mm-hmm. of 40 million Canadians. But now, uh, they will have to respond, because one thing that we have, David, you and I and everyone watching, we can change where we go, uh, which banner we support uh, right. based on the offering. That, that, that is something we have, all of us. So uh, for me, that's why I say this is the objective, but how you do it, it's for you to outcompete each other and for Canadians to, to have the benefit of that. W- wouldn't that be happening anyway in standard market forces? Like well, I think, I, think, I think that the push we give, uh, we see more, we see it faster, and I think we'll see an expanded version of that. Okay, uh, That's you, my feeling. Just as a final question, you say everything is on the table. When is it on the calendar? I mean, you gave them until Thanksgiving to come up with this. Like, when is the next deadline for, uh, f- for you to, to see the real tangible action before you make good on, on the threats of the Prime well, Minister? Well, l- let's be clear. What we ask them is for plans by Thanksgiving, but the impact on, on stabilizing food prices, we want to see that over weeks and months. This is not like a one-time event right. where we say, oh, we've seen you've done it for Thanksgiving. No, no. We want to see that for multiple quarters to come. So we're going to be monitoring that. I don't want to set any any uh, artificial deadline today. If things go well, uh, we're all going to benefit. If we see that things are not going in the right direction, we'll take further measures. And like I said, the work is not over. Um, you know, the data we're going to have, for example, on, on the price within the supply chain is going to help the small independent grocers. Uh, the code of conduct is going to play its part. Uh, the pressure we're going to put on international manufacturers is part of it. So this is really work in progress. But at the end of the day, we're fighting the good fight for Canadians. And I think that's what they expect from us. Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne, thanks so much for your time.
Thank you very much, sir. Okay, that's what the minister has to say. We're going to get a bit of a reality check now on whether these new measures will help. Uh, and that Professor Michael von Massau joins me now. He's a food economist from the University of Guelph. Okay, so Professor, you were listening in there. You just heard from the minister what he had to say on this. H- how effective do you think this plan will be? Well, I, th- I think there's a significant lack of clarity here. You know, the minister's saying, well, I'm seeing impacts on the, on the flyers where, where I got this morning. But what are we comparing it against? I don't think we have benchmarks with which we're comparing it to. And frankly, while I don't think the the grocers are a significant factor in driving food price inflation, I do think to a significant degree what we're seeing is stay the course. Mm. Price matching exists. There are apps for that. Most stores offer it. We know that Canada has, you know, twice as frequent a special and, tw- and twice as deep a discount already when we compare it to the U.S. in terms of uh, in terms of uh, of, of uh, specials, and, and so how do we know that they're doing more or not just doing what they've always done? Well, I, I mean, there is the promise in there uh, of some sort of data reporting, I, I guess, to help us assess that. But I, I agree. I, I don't know if I fully understand things. Like, there's a promise that things will be cheaper, but I don't know which things and how much cheaper. And, and the message seems to be competition will take care of it and you need to shop around for the best price. But that feels like what should already be happening in the market. Am, am I wrong there? Well, no, I think you're exactly right. And, and I would argue it is what's already happening in the market. Uh, you know, we do have concentration in the grocery sector. And, and I would argue that that market power is wielded up the supply chain uh, at suppliers and not down the supply chain at, at, at consumers. I find it hard to believe that, uh, you know, a week, uh, a meeting two weeks ago in Ottawa with all of them, all of a sudden they said, well, we're going to, we're going to be more competitive with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't ring true. So I, I'm hopeful, uh, but, but I don't think that, that this is going to be the thing that makes the difference. As you noted with the with the minister, yeah, we've seen prices go down two of the last three months. We we know that if we look at monthly or the last three months, the rate of food price inflation has been below the rate of general inflation, and, and so uh, we're seeing a trend uh, in the right direction anyway. Now, there are things could still go off the rails, and we usually see prices go up through the winter when we're importing more. But but I'm not convinced, frankly that this is going to make a substantive difference in in food prices that we hadn't already seen. We can also talk about some of the other things that, that the minister talked spoke about sure. uh, earlier today. I think giving the Competition Bureau more power so that we can actually figure out what's driving food price inflation and whether grocery stores are, are contributing to the problem, even though the Competition Bureau recommended uh, an increase in, in competition, they didn't have a they didn't provide evidence that 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 the lack of competition was causing problems so i think that that's uh that's a good thing if we could get more evidence or or get more certainty on what we're doing and why we're doing it the the grocery code of conduct that i heard the 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 minister refer to is primarily on relationships with suppliers uh and and frankly uh we heard uh michael mccain from maple leaf when they were when they were uh, testifying to, in Parliament, that he was agnostic about the impact on prices uh, with respect to the to the grocery code of conduct, and I would argue 
that the, there's potential for the gro- grocery code of conduct, which is maybe a good thing, but but there's real potential that it's actually inflationary rather than lowering prices. Right. So you know, I, I look at this and the focus on competition. I mean, if there wasn't competition in the grocery sector to this point, well, that's a whole other issue to deal with, right? From, yeah. from a government regulation perspective, because we saw with the bread price fixing uh, scandal from a few years back that there was collusion, at least along one line of product. I mean, there's no suggestion that's necessarily what's happening here now. Um, but the, the way you, to sort of suggest that a more aggressive competition because of the the weighing in of the federal government is going to fix this when Ukraine is part of this, climate change is a big part of this, energy prices is a big part of this. I, I mean, how much impact can the government really have uh, on, on your grocery bill? I, I don't think the government can have a lot of impact. And, and you talked about multiple factors that have come into, into play. And, and because we're sort of having this perfect storm of price pressure, it means there's no silver bullet. There's not one thing that's going to bring this down. You know, it's you know we're not going to just make in food inflation go away because the grocers are are suddenly more competitive. I'd argue that that they're not uh, going. To, that, that things aren't going to change. I would argue that the grocers are quite competitive. We see flyers every week. We see price matching guarantees. And I'd highlight to you that that yes, there was a price. Uh, uh, there was a finding in the in the bread price fixing thing, but that was in bread companies, not in grocers. Loblaws was the one who brought it forward with their Western bread. Canada Bread was the other player. They were found. This wasn't the grocers. So might there be things going on? Yes, but again, there's no evidence that the grocers have been complicit here thus far. No one's shown me data to, to say that yet at all. So is there something missing here, just as a final point, Professor, that they could have done today that would have a tangible impact uh, on, on your grocery bill for, for the, when people go? I mean, Thanksgiving is this weekend. It's going to be a lot of people buying things. Is there something they could have done today that we would actually feel in the immediate term? No, I don't. Frankly, I, I, and I, I don't think there's a lot that the government can do in the short term. I think, you know, bringing the grocers, I think there was some value in maybe bringing a broader mm-hmm. uh, food system discussion to say, what can we do to build resilience to things like extreme weather events, climate change, resilience to things like the war in Ukraine. I think there are some things that we can think about doing and move towards doing that will give us some medium and long term resilience. But there's not a lot that the government can do uh, to, to make a difference for this weekend and Thanksgiving or even for, for the Christmas season. I, th- I think that there are other fundamental factors at play here. Right. And, and Professor, just uh, the corollary of that, of course, is that there's nothing really. Is there anything really the government did to drive food prices up or is it really just this global suite of issues that's hitting everyone? But yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, the, the government gets more blame than it deserves in many cases and more credit than it deserves in cases when things go well. And in, in this circumstance, I'm not convinced that food prices were affected by any government policy at all. These are fundamental supply-based issues that we've been struggling with. Okay. Professor Michael von Massau, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. A new report from our colleagues at Radio Canada shed some light on Pierre Polyev's thinking when it comes to the issues of gender identity and diversity. 
Our colleague Christian Noel spoke to numerous conservative sources who tell him that the leader's inner circle is split on how to proceed on this issue. Some conservatives see a move to back the so-called parents' rights agenda as a way to reach new voters, while others fear taking a hard position will distract from the core economic message the conservatives are driving and could backfire on them during an election. We're going to talk about that with the power panel. Stevie O'Brien is a senior advisor at Macmillan Vantage. James Moore is a senior advisor at Denton's and a former conservative cabinet minister. Sally Hauser, a senior manager at the Canadian Strategy Group. And Shachi Curl is the president of the Angus Reid Institute. Uh, James, I'd like to start with you because uh, you've kind of, we've talked about this very dilemma that the conservatives are facing on this panel multiple times. How, how do you view this debate that Christian Noel tells us is happening at, at, at the, the upper levels of the conservative party? It's, it's hard to imagine an issue that is more explosive when you have two sides of an issue, both advancing effectively the same argument, which is don't attack our kids. Doesn't really get much more raw than that, right? So I think the, the, the substance of the issue is actually, I don't think that complicated. I think most fair-minded people can imagine a policy, for example, in Saskatchewan, where you would say, you know, we, we defer to to parental notification and have parents involved, but we want to protect our kids and, and we, we recognize court decisions and, and our obligation to protect children and gender identity issues and there should be some kind of compromise. Like, I, I think most fair-minded, but if, you, if this gets weaponized as a way of sort of exploiting uh, children, I, I think that is extraordinarily dangerous ground, by the way, for either side. This is not an issue that I think conservatives are probably just wrestling with, but I think all political parties, because you have public sentiment in, you know, deferential to including parents, you have court, a court decision in Saskatchewan in a different direction, everybody actually trying to find compromise. But if you have voices on extremes trying to weaponize this and saying the other side doesn't care about the well-being and safety of our kids, uh, it's an extraordinarily delicate issue to manage on the communication side. So, so Stevie, on that, I, I mean, often on, on social issues, you know, the, the liberals will seize upon these. I mean, you've been part of liberal campaigns where, where that has happened. This one, though, is an issue that's really being put on the table by a conservative premier in New Brunswick, a conservative premier in Saskatchewan, right? They have put this front and center in the political debate. Yeah, and if I was a conservative advisor, which I'm not, uh, yeah. I would uh, I would be telling uh, Polyev to stay away from this. The conservative, uh, the conservatives get in trouble. The conservative leaders get in trouble when they weigh into social issues. It's liberal politics, sort of one on one, to get the uh, conservatives to weigh in on on these things, uh, and then to use it against them in an election. And I think uh, what Polyev needs is not additional. Uh, to win Saskatchewan by an additional margin, right. uh, what he needs is to pick up seats in the GTA in Vancouver. But, you know, Sally, you're, you're in Saskatchewan, uh, where, you know, Scott Moe has said he's going to use a notwithstanding clause uh, to advance his legislation on this issue. But the argument uh, presented to Christian in his reporting is that taking a firm position on the parents' right side of this would help them with women, help them in the greater Toronto area, the greater Vancouver area. How do you see it potentially playing out for them? Yeah, well, I, you know, James say, saying that I, I, I don't think anybody's trying to polarize us or whatever, I, I can't imagine using more of a cudgel than the notwithstanding clause. That doesn't sound like trying to find compromise uh, to me of taking Canada's nuclear option, essentially. Um, you know, we just saw in Manitoba the Conservatives try to use uh, this argument uh, as, as well as some more far-right conservative uh, conservative issues, and it didn't work out for them. And certainly if I'm Pierre Polyev or Scott Moe, uh, who's planning on recalling uh, or is recalling the legislature here early on October 10th uh, to talk about this, 
to deal with this, to ram through this legislation, uh, I would be taking a pause on it, absolutely. And I think, you know, perhaps this is an issue that a lot of parents out there, and I know the Conservatives test and pull things, they get a head nod, but I think if you put it into the, where does this fall in Canadian priorities, mm. that affordability, health care, and those more, t uh, more traditional ones, the economy, jobs, everything else, comes much, much higher than, than where this would on the scale of how we vote. Um, so yeah, I mean, I understand the, the Conservatives' uh, stress and unwillingness on it, but it also shows how nakedly transparent um, they are on the politics. And, you know, I, I find that pretty distasteful when we are talking about the safety of children. So of, are we going to attack them or not on this issue based on the number of votes we're going to win? Uh, Shachi, um, to, to this point, as far as I can recall, uh, Mr. Polyev has said that the Prime Minister should essentially butt out of how parents raise their kids. But in terms of adopting a firm position on resolutions that were presented at his convention, he says they're still assessing it. And he hasn't really given a firm, clear position on how his party will deal with this you know, in an election campaign. How long? can that sort of vagueness persist, do you think? Does he need to take a side on this one? I think he's smart not to take a side. I think he's smart to, to take his own advice and his tweet and, and really butt himself out of this. And the reason is because 50% of past conservative voters, when asked if their own child was displaying uh, an affinity or, or a behavior change that, that showed some, some greater affinity, towards one gender and not the gender that they were born with, those parents, those conservative voting parents say, you know what, that's something that I would work with my kid on, that's something that I would accept and work to embrace because it's my kid. So what often happens in the polarization of this issue is that the, the loudest voices, the most fervent voices tend to come from the grassroots conservative corners of this conversation. But that doesn't mean that every conservative voter or every potential conservative voter, and remember there's a lot of disgruntled liberals out there right now who are looking seriously at the conservatives, mm -hmm. are necessarily in that really fervent place around telling schools uh, that, that uh, this is not something that, that they support and that they demand parental control. Right. The fact is most people in this country most Canadians are somewhere in the middle on this debate. Yes, there's more conservatives on one side of it, but it doesn't mean all conservatives are on one side of it. And remember, too, Pierre Polyev is trying to create a narrative where he's all about individual rights and freedom. So parents may have the right to pull their child out of school around things like gender identity education. At the same time, though, uh, he, he's really running a risk of, of trying to get into a place where this becomes the thing, the hill that he wants to die on. Right. Ultimately, what we're going to see is, uh, is is very little. I, I, it was either Sally or or uh, or, or uh, one of my yeah Stevie who who talked about the fact that you know there is nothing to be gained by going further to the right on this issue and and bulking up this issue. What we need, what the conservatives need to do, if they're right. thinking to themselves, is hey, if if I am a conservative strategist, I'm saying to Pierre Polyev, what we need to do is actually not alienate that 10 to 15 percent of liberal voters who are in a place where they are this close to voting conservative because they're so disgruntled and so fatigued with the government of the day. Oh. This is the type of thing that's okay. going to alienate them. Okay, I got to get James in there because James, I, I want to pick up on a point that Sally made. What do you make of the fact that the conversation seems to be about what is politically advantageous to do as opposed to 
what really is the best path forward for kids who may be in this situation as that seems to be the way this conversation is happening in a lot of political spheres right now i think that's why i think Shachi's advice there in the end is the correct one, right? What I imagine is going to happen is that you will have Scott Moe do what he's going to do, which, is, which by the way, represents 80% of the people of Saskatchewan, at least, according to public opinion research. 50%. And, and, and the broad, well, well, 50%, but then you look at those who are opposed to it on the other side. The question isn't notwithstanding clause. The question is the policy. And the policy has overwhelming public support. And look, I, I think the, the provinces will do what they're going to do. They'll engage in this debate. I think anybody who's seen as exploiting this issue, I think, will, will face the wrath of voters on, on either extreme. But I think Justin Trudeau won't be able to help himself. He'll try to draw Pierre Polyev into the debate. He'll pick a fight with some premiers on this. And I think Mr. Polyev would be, would be wise to stand back and say, I don't think that parents are the enemies of their children. I think parents love their children more than anybody else, and parents should be included in the conversation, not excluded. But provinces will provinces will have their own policies, and they will sort this out. And then sidestep and let the provinces do what they're going to do. I think that's the appropriate position to take. I think that's where the vast majority of the public is at. And I think he should you know, be sort of dispassionate about this, not, not get draw, drawn into debates uh, that are overly aggressive, and, and do things like alienate people from the Conservative Party and its broader message that has clearly broad appeal at this time. Okay, I, I want to get Stevie on this, and I want to switch to another topic, but Stevie, can you avoid having a big, passionate debate about this, right? We saw the marches uh, two weeks ago, I think it was, you know, across the country. You know, we've seen the, the Prime Minister being asked about this after a national Muslim organization was upset with him siding with, you know, uh, uh, the LGBTQ uh, side uh, of this argument. I mean, can that be avoided going into this? I think what's interesting is a lot of the rhetoric we're seeing now, uh, conservative rhetoric, is uh, very similar to the rhetoric we saw 20 years ago on same-sex marriage. And I think uh, Seamus O'Regan was pointing it out on his social media earlier. So that was a that was a big debate. There were a lot of divided um, opinions. There were a lot of the same um, positions being advanced there. And, you know, I'm glad that associated with the party that w landed on the right side of history on that one. So th there may be a big debate on this. I think uh, if I was going back to the politics of it, I would, I would hope it's not advantageous for uh, the Conservatives to be talking about this. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Polyev's numbers were doing well, and he was doing, his polling was doing great over the summer when he was really talking about housing and affordability. Right. And I think that's what the Canadian uh, Canadians want to hear about. Okay, and we're actually going to talk about that now. But just uh, as a final point on this one, there's all this talk of a New Brunswick election coming soon, folks. So this issue could play out in, in that province, too, because Blaine Higgs uh, was one of the first premiers on this one. But back to the issue of affordability. Federal Innovation Minister Francois-Philippe Champagne says he got concrete commitments from Canada's big five grocers for measures aimed at stabilizing food prices and bringing more competition to the market. But the opposition leaders say it didn't go far enough. Starting soon... Canadians will be able to see rollout of actions such as discount across a basket of food products, uh, price freezes, and price matching campaigns, to name a few. All right, meanwhile, the Prime Minister announced that Vaughan will be the next city to take part in the Housing Accelerator Fund, building on other recently announced measures aimed at addressing the housing crisis, such as removing GST on new rental housing construction. Well, today's agreement with the City of Vaughan will help us fast-track the building of thousands of homes in the coming years. 
All right, the government says the measures they're introducing to address the affordability crisis are starting to have a real impact. So, is that the case? All right, Sally, uh, a busy day on the agenda front on this issue is for the government, right? Announcements on groceries, announcements on housing. After being accused all year, really, of having no agenda on this, are, is it taking shape? Are we seeing a plan that will actually help Canadians? Well, you know, I don't think it goes as far enough as, as Jagmeet Singh was saying. And what, what seems to stand out on this one is the length of time it's taken. And I've been surprised over the past year, year and a half, really, where affordability and housing, but affordability in particular, have been massive subjects of conversation across politics, but at every dinner table, at every cafe uh, across the country. And so having, I, I mean, just straight from a tactics point of view, having these two major announcements on one day seems a little panic to me. I don't like to, you know, as, as somebody with a background in, in political comms, I wouldn't have stepped on these two announcements <laughs> in the one day. Uh, it definitely has uh, the feeling of, oh, geez, an election is coming up. But, you know, just to tie it into our, our previous conversation on, on the issues of gender identity, uh, and James had said, well, 80% of Saskatchewan agree in this, but I would wonder where it would come in a top 10 issues of something you vote on. And I think when voters are looking at um, geez, what is somebody I want to vote for? What is their actual priority? That affordability housing is going to be it. But just for the liberals on the comms side, I definitely wouldn't make two major announcements like that on the same day. Okay. First of all, please don't speculate about a federal election. I start to twitch when, <laughs> when people do that because I'm just not ready for another one yet. But, you know, Shachi, uh, we, we talked uh, earlier in the year that a lot of the polling uh, would show that it wasn't that people thought the liberals did, did, had a bad plan for things like housing and affordability. It was that they had no plan. We're starting to see things. Does this look like a plan to Canadians, do you think? Well, it looks like things that are getting announced. It looks like announceables, and uh, it looks like uh, it's taken a while, but the government is starting to at least respond to the general zeitgeist from Canadians, which is, are you even listening to us? Are you even listening to the things that we need help around? But these are announcements, and particularly around housing, I think it's a really long tail. It's, it's an it's a known unknown. We're not going to have an answer on any of this for a decade or longer. So, you know, from a political cycle perspective, sure, get the announcements out there. But where are the strings attached to developers on some of this? How do we know that necessarily building more density, building more stock leads immediately to affordability? I'm sitting here in the middle of downtown Vancouver where I can tell you there's been a massive housing boom over the last 10 years and there are still buildings with, with windows sitting dark and empty night after night because of the commodification right. of real estate and the commodification of housing. So is this, from a policy perspective, the thing that is actually going to lead to stable, adequate housing for lower income and low market Canadians who need it absolutely the most? And, you know, all I can say is I hope so for the sake of Canadians, but we're not going to know the answer to that for a long time. And I don't really think that's the intent of this government or any government. They're just looking to swing votes back. So, so Stevie, the, you know, the Liberal caucus, when they gathered in London, they'd all heard about all of this over the summer and they were promised a plan. Do you think this meets the bar or is this the start of it? I mean, there's no doubt that the government is seized with the issue of housing right now, as everyone's already said, that we've seen announcement after announcement week after week. Uh, Minister Fraser's probably the busiest person in cabinet. Um, and I think, I think it demonstrates that, you know, they heard caucus and they're going to be taking action. Um, but as Chachi said, the 
housing isn't something you can just turn on and fix. There is going to be a long runway. It is t it's going to take time to see if these have tangible benefits, unlike things like dental care or child care that can have an immediate impact on right. your monthly bills. Uh, you're not going to get a check to help with your housing on a month-to-month -month basis. So I think whether or not people will feel tangible benefit or see shovels in the ground before the next election will may have may seal the fate of the government. James, uh, what, what's your sense uh, on this, uh, on, on the efforts that we're seeing from the Liberals on this? It, it kind of doesn't matter what they say, and I don't mean that like in a as a sort of a hacky attack. It, because at this point, after three terms in government, the government is now starting you know, next week or the week after its ninth year as a government. They effectively have a majority with the NDP alignment that it kind of doesn't really matter what they say, what programs they set up, that the public will know. You, you feel it. You know, real recognizes real. And people recognize what's real in their life and, and whether or not it's moving in the right direction. More than a third of Canadians who are mortgage holders in this 24-month window, about of which we're sitting in the middle of it right now, with variable rate mortgages, are going to be renewing their mortgages. And they will know whether or not their life is better off. So they can set up a housing accelerator program and have an announcement in Vaughan. They can, you know, try to chastise Galen Weston in the, in the grocery stores and, and say that they're greedy, as though somehow they weren't greedy in the past. They're just greedy now, which is ludicrous, but there you are. Um, you know, it, it kind of doesn't matter. People know very well how much disposable income they have at the end of the year uh, and when they're going to go buy Christmas presents and whether or not they can afford a vacation. They will know in real terms, right. not any spin terms or any political language, whether or not they're better off. Right. So, Sally, uh, I can't have a Newfoundlander on the panel and not ask you about what the Newfoundland MP for Avalon, Ken McDonald, had to say earlier in the show. He voted with the Conservatives yesterday on a resolution to scrap the carbon tax. And he said on the show today that uh, people are losing faith in the Liberal Party back home and in his riding. He thinks they're going to lose seats. He doesn't know if he'll run again if they don't change the policy. And he said that the Environment Minister, Stephen Gobeau, is the wrong guy to sell their signature environment policy in Atlantic Canada. All of this fuels into this affordability thing and people feeling it. What do you make of what Ken McDonald had to say and what the fallout might be? Well, I mean, the, the fallout, you can, you know, f to be a fly on the wall of the, of the conversations of the issue managers and then the communications and the spin doctors and the Liberal Party, less than ideal, um, <laughs> you know, for sure. Uh, particularly when that fortress of Atlantic Canada, or it has been in the past, obviously the Liberal government has done really, really strongly there. There is an opportunity for the Conservatives, but I think and also an opportunity, particularly in St. John's and Halifax, for the new Democrat Party. Uh, it definitely sounds Sounds like somebody, if they're saying they're not sure they're going to run again, probably not going to, going to run again. Where you're you're uh, not particularly caring about what uh, what the consequences might be of you coming out uh, against the government. It certainly gives the conservatives uh, some ammunition uh, to go with when when one of your own uh, comes out speaking against you. That's that's a that's a bad day in political communication circles for sure. So Stevie, how do the liberals deal with that? You know, having a having a backbencher say the the environment ministers not the right guy to talk about the environmental policy in an entire well, region. What I think is really interesting is that you're asking, we're, we're talking about affordability, we're talking about the price of groceries, uh, and we're not, and, and then, one, we're not, we need to have a systemic approach, or sorry, attack the systemic problems to the pricing, right. one of which is erratic weather behavior, mm -hmm. so, and events. So I don't think you can address it's very rich to be calling for the government to act on lower, uh, lowering grocery bills, but also having a motion in the House to uh, repeal carbon pricing and, uh, and climate politics. You can't 
if you're not addressing the core causes of the problem, then you're not going to have a solution. Right. But, you know, uh, Shachi, uh, you've seen the numbers as well, right? Like what Kim McDonald is saying is happening in his riding. We're hearing that from a lot of Atlantic liberal MPs, and we're hearing it from the Atlantic premiers. Uh, how big of a problem, you know, as they try to make progress on housing and on groceries, they got a whole region of the country pretty frustrated on what's happening with their energy bills. It's, uh, it's incredibly problematic for this government. It's a line they're going to have to walk, and, and, and really it is an open door for the opposition conservatives to exploit because that cost of living issue, that household family wallet issue, and, you know, in, in rural Canada and Atlantic Canada, a lot of those communities are rural. The opportunities to walk or ride your bike or take transit are not really there. So you're going to have, in a lot of rural communities, a disproportionate uh, response because people are feeling it in some ways disproportionately. Parking your car, or in many cases, parking that pickup truck because you need it to, to get through rural uh, communities is not there for them. The difference is this, and this is why it's a vulnerability for the Liberals. In so many other rural communities, those are communities that are already tending to vote conservative or lean conservative. Look at northern communities across the country. You get out of the city it's a very different story. That hasn't traditionally been the case in Atlantic Canada, and we're starting to see that, that it may be, and I don't think Atlantic Canada by any stretch is safe territory or safe country for the Liberal government in an upcoming election. This doesn't help, but on the other hand, uh, you know, it's, it's entirely fair for the government of the day to put the case to Conservatives and say, well, what would you do better? But, but James, uh, on Ken McDonald, um, did he just walk out on really thin ice with what he had to say? What, what, how do you think uh, they're going to react to that? <laughs> well, look, you know as well as anybody that public, federal polling of public opinion in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador is pretty rare. So a poll comes out last week from Abacus showing the Conservatives up nine points in Newfoundland and Labrador. And now Ken McDonald all, all of a sudden is, uh, is speaking against the Liberal government. That's not a tremendous amount of courage, but he's right about the substance of what he said. The Conservative numbers have been moving in Newfoundland and Labrador because Pierre Polyev has been going there once a month, every month at least, uh, and talking about these issues of affordability and the cost of the supply chain of which the carbon tax feeds into and it rises, raises the cost, especially in rural, remote, and hard-to-get-to communities like Deer Lake, like Labrador uh, Labrador, and Labrador City, like, all, frankly, all, all the smaller communities across the eastern shores of, of, of Newfoundland. So he, Pierre's been out there talking about this for a year. The polling numbers have shifted. Now the Conservatives are up nine points in the province. Ken McDonald says, we've got a problem here. We need to do something about it. And as though he's the first person who's been sounding the alarm in the night. No, the public has been annoyed for a long time. They've reacted to Pierre Polyev's message, and Ken McDonald is now adding voice to it after having seen the advocates' numbers, is well, my no, assessment. No, so, to, to his credit, Ken McDonald's been on fine. this for a while. Like, he has been on this for a while. It's just, uh, uh, sure. he, I've never heard him criticize, uh, basically say the environment minister isn't the guy to be talking to Atlantic Canadians about the environment. Uh, that, that's what kind of yeah. struck me as new today, right? Well, yeah, so for conservatives, that's the value you add. <laughs> there you go. All right, thanks, gang. We got to leave it there. Stevie O'Brien, Sally Hauser, James Moore, and Shachi Curl. Thanks so much. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening.
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.